Good morning, church. It's great to be together this morning. I bring you greetings from the Long Beach Ministry. And it is great. Uh, Marina and I are having a great time down in Long Beach. Uh, for those of you who don't uh, know, me and my wife, Marina, were, uh, used to be here in the South Bay. We led the youth ministry here for many years. And uh, then about a year and a half ago, moved down to Long Beach to lead the ministry there. And uh, we love uh, Long Beach. Long Beach. And um, uh, God is really uh, teaching us a lot of great things, stretching our faith, moving us out of our comfort zone. You know, I served as a youth minister for over 12 years and uh, with students, with high school students, okay? So, to me, yeah, I love, you know, and I love the teen ministry. Uh, but to jump from uh, working with teenagers to working with married adults was a definitely uh, a different scenario. So, um, needless to say, God has been teaching us a lot. And uh, we're so thankful that uh, we got to have all the training we got here in the youth ministry to be able to bring to Long Beach. And uh, we love the church there. God is blessing it in a great way. Um, I want to... Today we're going to uh, talk a little bit and do a little Bible study. Are you guys ready to do a Bible study? We're going to get a little bit, uh, we might get a little, a little deeper nuggets here and there. I hope that's okay with you. Um, we are giving our missions contribution today. And let me just tell you, uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time or, or you're not really a member of the church, uh, just know that this, this is a generous church. We are a giving church. We love to give to other churches, to other causes, and, and God blesses when we give in a great way, amen? And today's a special day. we got all the kids in the service. We're going to be giving our offering together to help meet the needs of the churches in Central America and Mexico and the Middle East. And we do this once a year, and it, it's a special service that you've come to this morning, and I hope that you're encouraged. And I hope the brothers and sisters here in the congregation are excited about being able to give to God in this way. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer, and then we're going to go dive in. God, thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. Uh, so excited to be able to worship you, to be able to sing to you, to be able to praise your name. Uh, Father, so thankful for the opportunity to uh, learn from your word. And I pray that our minds and our hearts would be open, that we would leave here different, that we would leave here changed, making decisions uh, to really give even more. To you uh, more and more often, God. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, for, thank you, God, for giving us your best. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to do a little study on 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And um, if you've been around the church for a while, these are passages that are used a lot when we talk about giving generously. And we use it sometimes in the, week, in the area of the weekly tithe. But... What Paul was talking about here was not necessarily the weekly tithe. He was talking about a special offering, which is what we're doing today. And, I, and what I wanted to do is kind of go through these chapters together, not verse by verse, but just chunks of the different chapters, to be able to be inspired by Paul uh, and how he inspired the church in Corinth to give generously. So, first we've got to start off with the need. The church in Jerusalem was a large church. It was where everything began when it comes to the first century, first century Christianity. 
There was a famine going on. There was food shortages, double taxation combined with overpopulation that crippled the economy in Jerusalem. You had the situation was aggravated by this Acts 2 and Acts 4. If you read Acts chapter 2 and you read Acts 4, you see that what they did is they voluntarily pooled all their resources and assets to be able to take care of people in the church. Jews from all different cities had moved to Jerusalem and had heard about Jesus, had been baptized and decided to stay in Jerusalem for years to come. And now, now all of a sudden, me and my wife and two kids, we have another family of a husband and a wife and their three kids have decided to stay because they don't know anything about Jesus, but they want to learn more and more about Jesus. All of a sudden, now our situation has doubled in the sense of trying to feed everybody and they're all sleeping in my house and everything like that. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what's happening in Jerusalem. As the mother church, a lot of people would visit the city of Jerusalem. A lot of people would come in. And so, obviously, the need's there to provide hospitality and to provide... Uh, you know, just help for those that came to visit. I mean, to travel in that time was not a fun situation. There's no airplanes. There's no buses. There's no, do you see what I'm saying? So when you come to the mother church, God take care of you and accommodating visitors. One thing I learned was, uh, many, many Jews from, um, from around, whoops, sorry. Many Jews from around would move after after they would retire after in their later years in life would move to the outskirts of the holy city of Jerusalem just to be around Jerusalem and so the church then increasing in number of elderly widows of people that needed to be taken care of so you had all these issues in the Jerusalem church happening all at once over a time period the need was great. Paul, the apostle, was so thankful for the church in Jerusalem, the vision the church had provided for all the churches that he himself had planted, and he understood the need, and he communicated the need to others. Everywhere he would go, he'd talk about, guys, we've we got to help out Jerusalem. We've got to help them out. Now, he writes these two chapters in Second Corinthians. This church in Corinth, him, Paul in Corinth, they had a kind of a tenuous relationship. He had written a letter in 1 Corinthians. He had written this letter to the church in Corinth to address many issues. He was defending his ministry leadership. There was sexual immorality in the church. A guy, a, a man was sleeping with his stepmom. Uh, people were getting drunk during worship service, during communion. Uh, there was disorderly conduct. Members were suing each other. People were neglecting one another and not caring for those of different needs or social classes. Or There was disunity. People wanted to follow this person and people wanted to follow this. And so Paul just takes it to them and addresses all these issues. He made several changes in plans. And so the church there that he planted, he, he was going to go visit them, but then he had to change plans. Then he was going to go visit them again. Then he was going to change plans again. So the church already was feeling like, dude, what's up with this guy? He keeps on changing his plans. Let your yes be yes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can just tell just there's, there's, a, there's a level of just contention in the relationship between Corinth and Paul. He has to defend his ministry in 2 Corinthians again. And so Paul, being this great evangelist, this great missionary, goes 
and writes this letter to Corinth. And he says throughout the first six chapters in Corinth, he talks about how awesome it is to have the cross of Christ and to have the message of Christ transform us into his likeness of Christ. And he talks about how we're citizens and citizens of heaven. And he talks about all these great things. And then in chapter seven, he starts encouraging the church. He says, guys, I know you guys have repented. I know you guys are changing. I know you guys are, are wanting to get better. And he starts encouraging them. And I love this verse here. And after he talks about their repentance, he says here in 2 Corinthians. Are you guys with me here? 2 Corinthians 7, verse 13. I told you we're going to dive a little bit into this stuff. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 13. It says, by all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. So I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. This is a church that was doubting Paul's leadership. And Paul, out of his affection, his love, the grace of Christ, he says, I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Now, the church here knows already about the need in Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians, Paul had talked about it in chapter 16. He, he gives advice to them on how to take care of it and how to collect the money and these kind of things. But, but he encouraged the, encouraged the church. He says, guys, you are awesome. I have complete confidence in you. And so here's a church with lots of issues, but with a genuine desire and heart to meet the need. They've struggled in many ways and have caused so many problems for Paul, but it doesn't deter Paul from appealing to the church to excel in a gift of giving to the Jerusalem church. And so as we read here, what I want to do is, is focus on a, a few things that Paul uses in chapters 8 and 9 to appeal and inspire the church to give generously that in many ways I feel apply to us today. Number one, faithful examples. If you turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you don't have a Bible, try to get close to somebody who does and share your Bible with them so you can read along with us. After he talks about, I have great confidence in you, he says in verse 1, And now, my brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, 
in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He gives this example. He says, guys, I have complete confidence in you. But let me tell you a quick story about the Macedonian churches. Out of a very severe trial, extreme poverty, with overflowing joy and rich generosity, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, maybe unwisely, maybe recklessly. They pleaded. They said, Paul, we want to share in this service. They considered it to be a privilege. It exceeded their expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord in faith and gave themselves fully to us, faith in action. That's a great church. The Macedonian church, extreme poverty, overflowing joy. He uses their example to encourage them that they, the church in Corinth, are also a church that can excel in so many things and that they should excel in this grace of giving. You know, when I think about what we get to be a part of today in giving to these churches, I think of several examples that come to my mind, just that I have personally experienced. Um, A couple years ago, Marina and I took some teens down to Belize. We, uh, from the L.A. church, we said, let's do a senior trip from all the seniors in the L.A. church and and see who would be willing to go with us on a missionary uh, mission trip just to serve and help the church and encourage. And, um, you know, we had about five or six kids raise up their own money, and they came with us. And my dad, uh, who serves in helping to uh, uh, send uh, all our contributions down to these countries and administer the money and all that kind of stuff, he said, he suggested you should go down to Belize because they speak English in Belize, and all the kids don't speak Spanish, so Belize would be great. Belize is the only English-speaking country right there. So, all right, let's go to Belize. We went down to Belize. The church there is 35 people. 22 of them are women. They, uh, a lot of the, the, it's a tropical kind of a feel, and so uh, the, the culture, tropical cultures, the men just will drink and lazy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. A lot of the husbands would actually come and drop off their wives at church and then go home. We went to this church... And, um, you know, there's no air conditioning. It's like it's like Death Valley Desert hot with Miami tropical Caribbean humid all together. And we're staying. There's no air conditioning anywhere. We're staying at the Marina and I are staying at the church leader's house. And, and we're, <laughs> we're like with a little fan on us, you know, and we're like, you know, don't touch me. You know, <laughs> it just it's kind of stuck to the bed. You know, we're like. You know, you take a shower, you're expecting, like, just you just want cold, refreshing water, and you put it to, like, the coldest, and it's, like, still hot. It's, like, vapor coming out because it's just so hot. It's uncomfortable. But we were there. We're serving the church. We're having a great time. And we go to the church service, and they give. We learned that they give every Sunday. They give a weekly offering, and then they give an offering for the benevolence. This is a 35-member church. There's extreme poverty in this church. It's a third-world nation. If you walk around, I mean, there's, it's got like one freeway of one lane. I mean, it's, it's a third-world country. 
I said to the church, I said, isn't that, I mean, that's kind of a lot that you guys do that. I mean, we were there for two Sundays, and they did it two Sundays in a row. Weekly offering, then pass the basket, pass the collection again for a benevolence offering. I said, isn't that like a, a lot? I mean, we only do it once a month, barely here. He said, no, you know what? The church here just loves to give. They want to give weekly tithe. They want to give benevolence to help out the needs in the community. And not only do they do that, but twice a month they'd get together and make all the women, you know, cooking and making meals for the church. And everybody would eat lunch together. And then what, everything that's left over, they would take, make paper plates and wrap them up and organize a way to get food out to other people in the neighborhoods. Thirty-five people in this church. Extreme poverty. Severe trial. Overflowing joy and rich generosity. It's amazing. Faithful example. I think about our churches in Guatemala. I say churches plural because we have three churches in Guatemala. We have one in the in the in the Guatemala, in Guatemala city of over 700 disciples. Three staff people. One full-time couple, husband and wife. One other full-time brother. And his wife is uh, part-time in the ministry for 700 people. Think about that. Their hearts, when you visit the church, and I know some of us have visited the churches there because of the medical brigades that have been going on lately. So when you visit the church there, just the, the, the extreme poverty, the overflowing joy. The smiles, the hugs, the warmth, the excitement, the zeal, the passion. you got brothers working full-time jobs, leading ministries of 80 or 90 people, 100 people, preaching, doing the lessons of the midweeks, doing the Bible talk leaders meetings. I mean, just trying to help keep the church afloat and keep on going. But they're so thankful that they get to share in this service to the Lord. It's amazing. You know, I, um, when I was seven years old, my sister who's here was five. My brother was about two. We were living in Boston. And my mom and dad were part of the Boston church. And they were, gonna, uh, they were asked to be a part of a mission team to go plant a church in Mexico City. Mexico City, 20 million plus in that city. Um, in Boston, the, the mission team was 13 people. It was two families, one family, our family, and another family. And there, you know, it was us with three kids. Their family, the church leader family, was had four kids, and the rest were all singles. The only people that spoke Spanish were my mom and dad and the church leader couple. And they were blonde, blue-eyed, gringo. So their Spanish was kind of broken. You know what I'm saying? Everybody else on that mission team didn't speak. They could barely say hola. I heard my dad would tell me stories about how they'd go up and invite somebody to church. You know, you invite somebody to church, servicio is service, cerveza is beer. So you'd say, a lot of these guys would go, te quiero invitar a la primera cerveza. De la Iglesia in Mexico. In other words, I would like to invite you to the first beer of, me- of, the, church, of the church in Mexico. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? This is, this is the mission team. 
that's going to go to Mexico City. My dad and my mom, with three young children, decide to uproot comfort in America and move to a country that's not even theirs. The parents are Puerto Rican. We're different. Just want to just want to clarify. Not everybody who speaks Spanish is you. You got them. You know what I'm saying. So, it's, there's a country that's not even their own. It's not even in their culture, and they decide to go there simply because they feel, man, this this city needs to hear the gospel of Christ. So they go down there, and 25 years later. We have a church of over 3,800 disciples in Mexico City. Isn't that amazing? To God be the glory on that. Not only that, we have a church in every state of the country in Mexico and every country in Central America from that Mexico City 13-member mission team. Isn't that incredible? Faithful example. These guys, this mission team, they got sick. They got salmonella, amoebas, and I mean, they ate a wrong, bad taco on the street. And I mean, they were just, it was, it was difficult. But God blessed the faithfulness. I remember uh, my parents were part of a, uh, led the mission team to uh, the city of Guadalajara. Guadalajara, Guadalajara. I'm not going to stay right here, but anyway, Guadalajara is a great, it's a great city in Mexico. And, uh, we moved there when I was about 10. And, uh, 10 people on the mission team. And I, we, you know, we're in this hotel room for about a month, a month and a half because we couldn't find a house. And, um, one hot meal a day. In the morning we had cereal, at night we had cereal, but for us as kids, it was like the adventure. It's part of the adventure. It was fun. It wasn't like, I'm so hungry. No, it was like, dude, this is tight. We got to stay up late. The mission team would come over in our room till like two in the morning telling jokes, and then we had school the next morning, you know, and, uh, but anyways, there's one guy. His name is Dr. Dr. Henry Bordigos. And, uh, he was part of the mission team, and I remember this guy, and, um, I don't remember what happened in the whole story, but but my dad was telling because I was a kid, you know, as a kid, it's like whatever. Yeah, doctor, awesome. But what happened? This guy's from Bolivia. He ended up his visa. Uh, he had to go back to Bolivia to take care of his mom, health issues. Visa expired. Could not enter Mexico again. Went to Bolivia. There's no church in Bolivia. Stayed in Bolivia uh, with his Bible and his first principles booklet. That's all he had. There's no email. There's no Facebook. There's no Skype. See what I'm saying? I mean, this is, uh, he just had to make some phone calls here and there to try to stay connected. He was wavering in his faith. And then all of a sudden just started, made, made decisions by faith. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna study the Bible like I taught, like I was taught to study the Bible with people. I'm gonna start studying the Bible with people here in my city. Four years later, the two, well, maybe three years later, a church was sent to La Paz, Bolivia, a mission team there. He was, he was in another city uh, hours away, flight-wise, from uh, La Paz. And they said, can you guys come over here and help us out? We have about 30 disciples over here. 
This guy had converted about 25 to 30 people. His Bible, first principles, that's all he had. Extreme poverty, severe trial, overflowing joy. I saw him last year for the first time since I was 10 at the San Antonio. A lot of us went to the San Antonio. There's a, we had a big conference in San Antonio of all the churches around the world. It was awesome. I saw him for the first time, random, in the lobby of the hotel. I was like, dude, do you remember me? He's like, ah, oh, see, 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 see. You know, like, <laughs> it was so bizarre. I had heard stories about this guy, and we saw each other last year. So many inspiring examples of people walking and taking the bus for hours to get to the midweek services, to the Sunday service. Many examples of people stepping out on faith to go plant a church in smaller cities in their own nation. Guys, this needs to inspire us. Just like the Macedonian churches, we need to look at what God has done and is doing in these nations out of their severe trials, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty and be inspired to excel in this grace of giving. Amen? Paul continues in 2 Corinthians. Let's read together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. He talks about God's gift. He says, I'm not commanding you. Just after he talked about that Macedonian church, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What's he talking about? Jesus in heaven. Eternal life. King of kings decides to make, and he makes a decision. I'm going to leave perfection to come down and be like us. Flawed. Making mistakes. Weak. Body. I'm going to leave perfection, make myself poor and coming down so that they may be rich. It's the story of the gospel of Christ. It's the story of of God's grace. And, and he, so he talks about the Macedonian churches and their incredible example of faith and severe trial. And then he takes it to a whole other level and reminding them that, hey guys, not just that, but Jesus gave everything. You know, we, we need to be reminded of this, don't we? You and I, we are a forgetful people. God allows us and gives us this opportunity right now today to give, to test our faith, to test our hearts. God gave the best in Christ. No strings attached. He just loves. He just gives because that's just who He is. And Paul reminds them of this. He says, guys, I know you're getting ready to collect this stuff and give it, but... You know, and you may be nervous about it, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the next month's rent or whatever, but he says, guys, don't trip out. Because God's already given. Your giving is in response to what you already have in Christ. The need is there. The other churches who are in more poverty have given beyond the ability, to, beyond their ability to give. And on top of that, remember... God gave His best. 
You know, Jesus, it kind of reminds me of the passage in, in Matthew 10 where Jesus says to the guys, he tells the guys, guys, go and give and do this and that because freely you have received, freely give. Freely we have received, so freely we give. We need to keep our hearts in perspective. We need to keep our hearts in check. You know, too many times I think we can get all kind of analytical about our, our giving and, and, and all nervous about it and anxious about it. And instead of looking at our giving as a faith issue, as what the Bible says here, the grace of giving. In other words, we have received grace freely. Let us give of our resources. It may be financial, energy, time, commitment, our talent, our gifts, whatever, freely and with passion. Amen, church? The last thing he talks about is interdependent relationships, I mean partnerships. You see these guys here in the mountain? They've got to tie themselves to each other. If one of them falls, they can pull each other up and these kind of things. I mean, if, if somebody's not tied up, they may fall to their death. They need, everybody right there needs one another. And so Paul uses the example of the Macedonian churches. He uses Christ's example. He shares some insight into the partnership with the churches at that time. And and in my mind, it describes to me the big picture of what this offering is all about. So I'm going to read three just quick passages here that that kind of paint the picture of what's happening. Are you guys with me here? Here we go. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 13. It says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. In other words, what, what you Corinthians are supplying now is going to meet their need. But let me tell you guys, you may be in need in the future and their plenty will supply your need. Bottom line, you need one another. He then goes on to describe how the gift will be administered and Titus and some of the guys are going to get together. They're commended by the church. So there's integrity in how it's being administered and, and meaning that there's unity in this gift and the, the men are entrusted by the church to do this, similar to what we have today. And then he shares this insight in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 1 he says, There's no need for me to write to you about the service of the Lord's people. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Interesting. So we see here, Paul has shared, has just shared with them about the Macedonians. But now he's telling them, guys, I was just in Macedonia sharing about you guys. And how awesome you guys are. And now your enthusiasm has stirred them to action. There's mutual encouragement going on. The Macedonians are setting an example for the Corinthians. The Corinthians are setting an example for the Macedonians. It's amazing to see how Paul uses this partnership. He said, guys, we're in this together. It's not against one another. It's not in competition. We need each other. And then he closes out in a most inspiring way. 
and paints his image for the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12, he says, guys, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of this surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. I love it! The Corinthians' gift was going to lead to overflowing expressions of thanks to God by people that they would probably never see because there's no Skype, there's no Facebook, there's no airplane, there's no email, there's no cell phone, there's no FaceTime. They were probably never going to see these guys. But Paul says, your gift is going to lead to overflowing expressions of thanks to God. Others will praise God because of your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. This is the heart of what we're doing today. What we're doing today, as we give people that you and I will probably never see, will be expressing overflowing joy and thanksgiving to God, praising God in other languages. Because you and I made a decision to obey and give generously. Think about that. There's an interdependent, there's a partnership that's happening here. He said, guys, Jerusalem is going to overflow with expressions of thanks because of your gift. Macedonia is stirred to action because of what you're doing. This is their mission's contribution. We give, others will praise God because of our response to God's indescribable gift of grace and our partnership in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we're a worldwide family of believers. The gospel must continue to advance. Our brothers and sisters need our encouragement. You and I, we need their faithful and grateful stories. We need their inspiration. We need them. We're all in this together. Amen. I'm so excited about what's been happening lately. Uh, just in the past few years, I know many of our teens, several of our teens and parents and families have been going down to Central America, to Honduras, uh, for these medical brigades where they take doctors, uh, dentists, and volunteers down to serve for a certain amount of time, for a four-day period, uh, just to serve the needs within the church. The idea started with, let's go serve the communities on Honduras. They realized, wow, the church of 450 disciples here is in as much need as all the community in, the, in Honduras. So let's take care of our brothers and sisters. I love that. That's partnership. Let's go down there. 
Let's take care of them. Let's take, and, and, then, and we'll also serve the community. You know, I'll tell you what. It's been so awesome to see our teens go down there to come back inspired with their families. I love that. You know, I think last year uh, it was great. We gave our missions contribution. And uh, Stephen Shonda Stevenson, leading the campus ministry and the church there in Long Beach, moved to New Jersey. But before they left, they said, hey, guys, we should give a certain amount of money to start a campus ministry in Mexico City. Mexico City has uh, what they call UNAM, La Ciudad Universitaria, the university city. 250,000 students enrolled in this university. Ten disciples. Years ago, it used to be a whole region of about 700 disciples. Now there's only ten. All the leaders in the Mexico churches were converted in the campus ministry. Now there's no campus ministry. So Steve said, what we collect from missions, let's earmark a certain amount so we can start, help start a campus ministry in Mexico City. Everybody was excited about it. We said, yeah, that's a great idea. God has blessed. We found somebody to lead the campus ministry there. We've partnered with them. They've come up to our campus ministry retreats, to the ICMCs. They're, um, uh, they're, now they started like in January. They're doing Bible talks every day, twice a day. They've seen five people get baptized here in the past few months. It's a start, but it's something that wasn't even there before because of partnership. Bottom line, we've received an abundance. God always provides This is a test of our hearts. So, brothers and sisters, let's be inspired by the faith of our brothers and sisters in in Mexico and Central America. There's severe trial, extreme poverty in some aspects, but overflowing joy, gratitude, zeal to see their nations evangelized. Brothers, let's be moved by God's grace. Freely you have received, freely give. God deserves our best. Amen. Let's be aware of our need for interdependent partnerships. They need us. We need them. We're in this together. I'll close out here to give you a practical challenge before we pray for communion. Give big. Give beyond your ability. Generous, overflowing, no leftovers. Give big. Dream big. Dream big. Kingdom dreams with what God has blessed you with. What can you do? There's so many opportunities, so many ideas. Think outside the box. How can you connect with other brothers and sisters around the world? Dream big. For some of us, we need to go big. Some here, we just need to go. Some of us need to take our kids, just go. Help. Serve, give, commit to spending time in another one of our congregations down there. Build, give. It's scary, but some of us just need to step out on faith a little bit, like those gringos in 1987 did in Mexico City that knew no Spanish. They just went. You know, we have these one-year challenges for the campus ministry, summer medical brigades. You can take a vacation and go down there that includes connections to the churches, go serve in their teen ministries and their campus ministries. Just go. God has blessed us abundantly. Empty nesters, go. Go on the mission field. Young marrieds, newlyweds, go. God will take care of us in South Bay. Don't worry. 
Go! Let's dream big. Let's give big. Let's go big. Let's pray together. Father, we're inspired by your word. We're inspired by how Paul inspired the church in Corinth. I pray that as we take communion, we can remember that we've been given to freely. That we've been given to beyond our imagination. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace. And I pray that your grace would motivate us, would move us to give generously in every aspect of life. Father, help us to excel in this grace of giving. Thank you for Jesus who excelled in everything. And thank you, God, that he decided to make himself poor that we would be rich in knowing you and being connected to you. And Father, help us today to give big, to dream big, to go big, Because you're worth it, God. You are worth it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.